Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk to Garth Goodbranson, longtime member of Golf Manitoba, who's retiring at the end of 2020 after 23 years with the governing body. We'll talk about his time as their director of player development, reflect on his time with the Bisons, lots of looking back with Garth. Also looking ahead with Craig Baker of Curl Manitoba on what the 2021 Scotties at Viterra could look like, bubbled in Selkirk. That's coming up on the podcast. Let's move along to our first guest, Garth Goodbranson, who after 23 years with Golf Manitoba will retire as the Director of Player Development at the end of 2020. And Garth joins us now on the CGOB Sports Show. Garth, how are you doing? Hey, doing well, and uh, thanks for inviting me to your show there, Kristen. So, Garth, uh, why did you want to retire? What's the decision-making process for you here? Well, I think, I, you know, for a long time, I think I've always had a goal. I just turned 60, and I always had a goal of... Uh, retiring at 60 i think i'll still you know be involved in golf to some degree but uh you know as a full-time job of with golf manitoba and then uh coaching the bison golf team was quite a few hours and i also uh ran the maple leaf junior tour you know doing those three, three things uh for the last 17 years altogether um it got a little tiring and i just kind of want to spend more time with my family and have a little bit more time for myself so how much time have you spent on a golf course these last 30 years? Yeah, well, all my life, you know, I started playing when I was seven years old and uh, loved the game right from right from the, the get-go. And uh, so, you know, that golf has been my life. Uh, as a kid, that's all I did. I, You know, it was nothing back in the day to play 54 or 72 holes a day. That's just what we did. And, uh, you know, uh, growing up in the business and, and being around it all the time, uh, uh, that that was my life. What's the most number of holes you played in a day? Well, I think one year, I think we got to 81. I remember taking oh a golf cart, probably our last 27 holes. But, uh, you know, that's back I, as a kid. I was at the old Southwood Golf Course. And, uh, you know, back in those days, the course wasn't all that busy. And it was a, a quick course to play. So, you know, to play in two and a half, three hours with nothing back then. So what, how long did it take you to play 81 holes in, like, 12 hours? Oh, oh yeah, we were there all day. I mean, that's what we did, right? We, we would be at the golf course at 8 o'clock in the morning, and uh, poor Tom Kinsman was the assistant pro back then. He'd be waiting for us in the pitch black to come in, and uh, I give Tom a lot of credit. He put up with a lot with us uh, young juniors. Yeah, I guess so. If only life were so simple now, eh? Yeah, how true. So big part of your story is establishing the University of Manitoba golf program. How prominent is that for you in your life? Oh, that was huge. You know, uh, Derek Ingram and I started it in uh, 2000. Uh, Ed Boga replaced Derek when he went to uh, Canada's national team, and then Ed retired from it a few years ago, and Derek Goodwin has come in. So, you know, I've been very fortunate having those three, working with those three with the program, but that's you know, that's been huge for me. I mean, it's just given me so many great memories. Uh, you know, we had so many unbelievable players on the team. You know, we started the team, you know, it hasn't been funded by the university. So we had to raise our own money and do all our own things. And, uh, you know, we still to the day, we feel it's probably one of the top five programs in Canada. So very, very, very proud of the current team, the alumni, the coaches and everything. And, and of course, the sponsors, we wouldn't have any chance to be where we are without them what do you find rewarding about coaching 
Well, for me, I think it's the relationships. You know, I, I look and, uh, you know, I have to be honest, I've been doing a, re- a lot of reflecting lately, and it's the, the relationships that you have with players, the relationships you have with parents. I got to, over the years, I got to know a lot of parents well, and, uh, you know, to me, it, it's so, it's, uh, I just love it when, when I see players who I coached from 20 years ago. And, you know, they're so excited to see me and catch up on so many things. And I'm just glad that they have positive memories of, of their experience. And, and that's what I've always tried to do is, is give them a great experience because, uh, you know, I look back on my own memories of golf and it's, it's been fantastic. And so as a coach, that's uh, part of what I've always wanted to do is give all players great memories. So when they have their own kids, they can tell them stories about their career and just all the good things that golf gave them. Now, not you. You mentioned that you've turned sixty, so I'm not dating you at all here. But has it come to a point where you've coached the kids of someone that you've coached? Mm, good question. Uh, I don't think it's not quite there, but okay. it's getting close. It's getting, okay. I'm sure it's getting close for sure. So, what was your main? I guess I don't know if you can boil it down to a main thing, but as director of player development, what are you tasked with at Golf Manitoba? But it's been a great career. You know, it's changed, you know, over the years. But, you know, one of the biggest things that's changed my career with Golf Manitoba is is being involved in all the games. There's the Manitoba games, there's the Western Canada games, and there's the Canada games. And those have been just unbelievable experiences for me. And, again, you know, the memories that we've had. So I do a lot of the organizing with that, and and that's been great. And then uh, we always – we uh, each year we have – uh, like our, our Monday putter uh, players, they play in a league, which is great experience for the players. And then the girls play in the Nassau League. So, um, you know, it, it's just been uh, a lot of uh, dealing with a lot of uh, juniors who are really excited about the game, want to get better. You see them when they enter a tournament, you know, starting playing competitive golf at 10, 11, 12. And then a lot of times you see them right through their university career. It's, uh, and that's why you get such great relationships. You, you get to know them so well over the years and, uh, very fortunate about that. How have the opportunities for young golfers expanded in the time that you've been in your role? Yeah, and you know that that's you know been really great to see. Um, part of a thing I've also done is I've ran the Maple Leaf Junior Tour for the last seventeen years, and we offer kids uh, five two-day tournaments a year, and uh, so that they're busy between playing golf Manitoba events, playing in the. Maple Leaf Junior Tour, and then playing on the Monday Putter or the Nassau teams, they're playing a lot, and and they love it. And it really becomes a community. You know, you you get people that uh, just develop such great friendship over the years, and uh, and a lot of it is just because they're they're competitive golfers and they get to see each other uh, an awful lot. Now, in terms of golfers that have come through the Manitoba system, we've had Aaron Cockerell on the show a few times. He's doing well over the European Tour, tied for fourth a couple of weeks ago. Did you work with him at all? Yeah, Aaron was on our 2009 Canada Games team. And, uh, you know, that was the first year that uh, golf was in the Canada Games. And there was Aaron and Ryan Pitzel and uh, Miles Sullivan on the on the boys team. And, you know, it was just, an, it was just you know, great memories. Like, it was just great memories. And, Aaron played on our Monday putter team and, you know, uh, I see him a couple of times throughout the summer and, and that's again, you know, maybe I haven't seen him for like a year or two, but as soon as you see him, it's just like, yeah, I saw him yesterday. So I yeah, really enjoy that and so proud of him on, on how well he's doing. And what about Derek Ingram, the success he's had in his various roles, including coaching Corey Connors, who 
has been performing very well on the PGA Tour and performed really well at the Masters recently. Yeah, you know, Derek and I, we spent so much time in, in both our early days of coaching. Back in, like, in 2000, really, there, there really wasn't coaching in golf. It was more instruction or teaching. So, um, you know, we got into the coaching, starting up the Bison team, and we wanted it so bad. We wanted the Bison players to be great role models for juniors in Manitoba. And, uh, you know, we put some long hours, but you know what? It was worth every minute. And, and, and the beauty of it, and, you know, we continually talk about that, Derek and I, is about how we learned about coaching. You know, we would sit there and we might do a, you know, we might work 12 hours during the day doing a camp and what have you, but we'd be spending two, three, four hours at night talking about, about coaching and just learning from coaching, learning from each other. And, uh, you know, I owe Derek an awful lot and been very fortunate to have him as a friend and a, and a co-coach. How would you differentiate coaching from instruction? Well, that's a great point. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand that. Like, I think if you look at it from a coaching standpoint and you're going away, say, with the university team or the Canada Games team for a few days, you know, my goal as a coach is to get the best out of the players in a short period of time. Where, you know, instruction or teaching is more long-term. So I think a lot of times when, when Derek and I first start off with the university team, you know, you know, a day before a tournament, we're instructing players. And maybe not they're not necessarily prepared or ready to go on the course to play in a tournament. So we got to the point where, you know, we realized that this isn't very successful. We're probably doing more harm than good. So, you know, then we started focusing on things like preparation. We started focusing on things like on practice habits. And, you know, we tried to try to build a culture to the program that, you know, whether, whether it was a Canada Games or the Bison team or whatever, we wanted to build a culture where players didn't feel any pressure. They, if they felt pressure, it was to do a good job preparing. So we never really put any uh, pressure on them to play well. You know, if they didn't play well, but they prepared super well, we were fine with that. You know, we were very, very supportive of that. And we used to always tell players that, you know, you just keep doing that and results will come. And, you know, so we always wanted to get good people. We wanted to make sure that they were good role models. We wanted them to be appreciative of things. Um, and we wanted to create a culture where these players would bring their own intrinsic motivation. And I think probably, you know, over the years we had so many good people, but in 2014, uh, the university team won the Canadian University Championship. And that was such a special feeling because um, all those years of putting things together and all those players who worked super hard and helped build the program, I think we all celebrated together when that team won because, the, the the five guys that were on that team worked so hard. They were so intrinsically motivated. They would sit there at the golf dome in the winter every day in practice. And, and, but it was all, we didn't have to tell them to do that. They just did it on their own. And, uh, you know, it was really neat to see a team from Manitoba, you know, win over a lot of good schools. And uh, it, it's something that I'll always remember. Talking with Garth Goodbranson, who is going to be retiring as Director of Player Development for Golf Manitoba in a, a month, the end of 2020. Uh, just looking at golf as a whole, Garth, all, we've seen a lot of rule changes over the last few years for sure, but just probably in your time in, in being involved in golf. What have you thought of the progression of the sport as a whole in your time in, involved with golf? Yeah, it's changed an awful lot, you know, and just like anything, I'm sure every sport, if you if you look at hockey or, you know, baseball or whatever, it's changed and uh I mean, it's a great game to watch. You watch it on TV. People just love watching it on TV. They they love watching, you know, I see it or hear it a lot when people see a lot of the younger golfers that I'm with 
they're always saying, oh, they're so athletic, they hit it so far, they're so much fun to watch. And you know, there's no doubt the sport is fun to watch. And so I, I really like where golf is headed. Um, I think there's just you know spectacular players, whether it's on the PGA Tour, whether it's local players, and uh, I think uh, you know things are, are really on the upside with golf. So when you see Bryson DeChambeau mash the hell out of a ball with a driver, how do you feel? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> like I sit there and I, I think about it and I go, you know, I give this guy a lot of credit. You know, he's he's playing the percentages and I mean, it's just to be able to hit the ball as far as him. So I, I'm really intrigued when I watched him play. And, uh, you know, I just give him a lot of credit because he's he's kind of, you know, doing something that no one else has did to that degree. And so uh, I find it interesting and, and look forward to seeing them in the future. Do you like putting with the stick in or out? It seems so weird having it in to me. I, you know, maybe not so much with the longer putts, but on the five-footers, that just seemed really, really weird this year. And I, I talked to a lot of players, and you know, I think especially the young kids, they get used to it. But I think it was a bit of an adjustment for a lot of people at the start. But the fact is that we got to play golf this year, and 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 everyone who was competitive golf got tons of golf in. We had beautiful weather, so I think uh, it wasn't that uh, big of a deal. No, it was the the social distance sport for sure. It worked out pretty well for golf. And Garth, I appreciate your time tonight. Appreciate all you've done for the golf community. Appreciate your time coming on the show over the last couple of years. And best of luck in your retirement. Okay, thank you very much, sir, Kristen. You have a good day. We also learned today from Curl Manitoba the changes that have been made because of COVID and what that has done to their plans for playdowns, qualifying for Scotties, Briar, etc. And we're joined on the line by Executive Director of Cruel Manitoba, Craig Baker. Craig, thanks for doing this. How are you tonight? I'm doing okay yourself. I'm doing well. So the the lowdown, Craig, is basically you've put in some contingency plans in case the Viterra and the Scotties can't be played? Basically, yeah. I mean, we're... we're um trying to explore very various options and we thought it was a good time to put it out there so um, obviously the number one is safety and health um, I think that's the common phrase that all Canadians and people across the world are probably using but yeah I mean we're hopeful uh, we have we know we have safe return to play guidelines and um, if 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 it's a possibility we want to be able to do something so we knew we had to tailor it and shrink it down and, and try to do it in one venue. And fortunately, Selkirk, which we had already booked for the men's, is a really large MJHL rink. And so if we can do it in an arena, there's a lot of space and we can hopefully make something happen. So the Viterra and the Scotties, the plan is now February 2nd through 7th to have them both there at the same time. Yeah, they'd be running simultaneously. We'd be uh, we're looking at reducing the fields, uh, eight for the women, and at this point, sixteen uh, for the men. And we know we can put it in with some draws we've done up. We can put it in the same time frame and and kind of keep some consistencies. Keep a round robin format, which the women are used to, and keep the double knockout format, which the men are used to. Um, Fortunate things is normally for a thirty-two men's team, we put in five sheets in the arena. Uh, the format we're looking at right now would only be four sheets, which will uh, more walkways between each sheet and more space. Um, so we're, we're we're exploring all those 
uh, concepts in order to see if we can make something like this happen. So, I mean, obviously a, a lot of things have to align for this to be possible, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's something we're aspiring to and it's something we, we want to be able to try to uh, attain. And I assume this would be done without fans. At this point, yeah. I mean, it's it's up to Selkirk. Um, the fortunate thing is, I believe the MJHL is looking to get back in January. So, I mean, they'll, they'll be back in there before we are. Um, so, it, it it's a lot of conversations between the RM, the facility, uh, public health. Uh, but, yeah, at this point, there'd be minimal, if if, if any at all. Uh, I can't remember what the MJHL had going in uh, before before this lockdown. But, you know, there's, there's multiple people and multiple factors that, that play a role in that. And ultimately, the biggest factor is the virus and what this province looks like from a virus standpoint in two months from now. Oh, absolutely. You know, we're not taking that lightly. Um, it, it, this, is, this is only if, if, if deemed safe and, and healthy and, and, and warranted that we would do this. So it's, it's something that's out there. Uh, it would, the, the, the plan we've outlaid still allows for provincial representation, which we know is important to our curlers. And uh, it's, it's something that we, you know, if... If able to, we we would we would like to be able to do this, and and that's I think the key message. And, and you hit the nail on the head. Um, it's you or put the rock on the button, I guess. But uh, no, it's it's about the the safety of the athletes, and, and not only that, but volunteers and and everybody involved. So, is there a date by which you need to know if it's going to happen or not, or can you say February first? You know what, guys, we're not going to do this. Sorry. Yeah, it's it's ever evolving. I don't think there's a, a drop dead date at this point. Um, it's it's ever evolving in, in what we're able to do. And and for these these three competitions that you guys are, are uh, saw today, as it relates to the nationals as well. So and that's why there's there's a few contingencies if we can't make it happen. Is how do you determine who goes on uh, if and when there's a nationals as well? So if there's a Briar Scotties or a mixed doubles nationals, what? What do we do? So we want to make sure that we're able to um, send Manitoba representatives on if 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 there is something nationally. So what is the plan if you can't have these? Yeah, I mean, there's you know we we currently have four women's teams and sixteen men's teams qualified. So you know potentially we could run us again trim it down further, uh, run run the six and four or four and four or whatnot, whatever. We, you know, if if there is something capable, but not those those numbers, then we would look at that. And and I think the other contingency is, you know, we look, we're looking at sending the, the returning uh, champions from last year on the men's side, and because our champions from last year are Team Canada on the women's side, we would be looking at uh, the finalists from last year going on. And same thing in the mixed doubles, it would be the champions from last year would go into the mixed doubles nationals. So I mean, there's, I think we've outlined three. Uh, three contingency scenarios, and then obviously an ideal scenario, is, or not necessarily an ideal scenario, but a, a, a this year's solution of an actual provincial. So there's kind of four options that we've outlined today. So that would be Jennifer Jones on the women's side and Jason Gonlickson on the men's side then? Correct. Okay. And we will hopefully have uh, some kind of play downs. And, and part of this too, Craig, is... You know, following what Curling Canada is going to do, we know they're going to do everything in their power to have a Scotties and have a Briar. But if that doesn't happen, then obviously your playdowns won't happen, right? Yeah, I think there's a trickle down effect for sure. Uh, we definitely surveyed uh, people at the beginning of the season when, when obviously Montable wasn't this, this, uh, I guess, bad in numbers. But uh, you know, when we started the return to play process, we surveyed 
uh, past competitors from a provincial team, provincial stream process. And there was a, there was an appetite that people wanted to still try to have our, our provincial stream competition. So we embarked on, on how do we, how do we make them safe? And we know that they can be safe. We know that we can create lots of space and cleaning and, um, and, and operate a safe return to play. Uh, we believe it is safe. Um, there's lots of space out there uh, on the sheet with not a lot of people, so uh, there's a lot of room. Um, so from a return-to-play perspective, we believe that curling is a is a fairly safe uh, activity. Um, but So we're hopeful. We're hopeful that we can... And, and not just for curling. I mean, and I'll, and I'll say that for all sports show. I mean, we're hopeful that I think all kids and, and even adults you know, we're hopeful sport can return at, at some point in the not too distant future. Because that would be emblematic of a society that is doing better at curbing this pandemic. That's a very good point. So uh, just before I let you go, Craig, how was curling going in Manitoba before we went into Code Red? We had a lot, a lot of our clubs had opened or were starting to open. Uh, I think we had every club in the city, in the city of Winnipeg was, had started. Some, some had started with last year's playoffs. Uh, and then it started league play, so it was going. Um, there was definitely some challenges, and clubs had had gone through additional expenses to get up and running. Uh, each club created kind of return to play committees and, and established tracking protocols, and, and you know we tried to support clubs through webinars and, and everything like that. Uh, our member clubs, but you know they the clubs did a fantastic job. You know a lot of our clubs, we have over ninety clubs that are members of Curl Manitoba, and you know these clubs. All but you know a handful of them are volunteer ran. Uh, there's not a lot with paid volunteers, and they they put in the volunteer hours to create a safe return to play committees and safe return to play uh, protocols for each club. You know we gave them guidelines, but each club is is so different that you know we couldn't come into each club and tell them what to do, but they had to create them themselves. And and clubs, I I believe clubs did a remarkable job, and, and clubs stepped up to try to create a safe environment for people that wanted to use curling as one of their recreational activities. And the hope is we get this under control, and in January we we get to play curling again. You know what? Yeah, I mean, obviously, selfishly, I want the sport of curling back, but 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 as a multi-sport guy that you know is very very much involved with with the building and, and all the sports that are recognized in the sport in Manitoba, I'd be wrong if I didn't say we want all sport back. You know, I'm, I'm not just focused on the sport of curling. I think we all want all sport back. We want our kids back playing whatever sport they're they're engaged in and i know you're focused on playing with me on this call but but i hope everybody appreciates that that they stay home and stay safe and let's get let's get sport back absolutely craig appreciate your time as always thanks for this and uh, good luck with everything all right talk to you again soon Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?